All right, 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We are slowly but surely making our way through 1 Timothy. And as I've said before, normally what we do as we're going through a book, um, what we'll do at the end of the chapter is we'll do a couple of things, uh, topical lessons, or we'll do a little mini-series or something in between just to kind of help break that up. Um, we're, we're, We're up to... Uh, we 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 dealt last week with verses nine, ten, and then going into verse eleven. So what I would like to do is uh, we'll continue that on. So what I'm wanted to do is we're going to start in verse seven. We'll read start in verse seven, and then I want to read down through verse fifteen, and we'll see how far we get uh, today. But First Timothy chapter one, verse seven. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust." And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, where, uh, who was before a blasphemer and persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the, center to, into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Father, we thank you once again for your word. We're thankful for the opportunity to join together, whether it's in person or online, that we can all come to, uh, first of all, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but that we also come to the knowledge of the truth, that uh, there is something after salvation that we can be a part of, and uh, we're grateful that uh, you allow us to be a part of the glorification program that you have for your son. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, and we thank you most of all for Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, as we've gone through 1 Timothy, and of course, one of the reasons that we're doing 1 Timothy is because of what, we're, what we've got going on here, right? And we've already talked about and gone through Titus, and the purpose of Titus, remember, is to set things in order. Because when you look at the order of the scriptures, you've got 1 Timothy, here's the church in rule, 2 Timothy, here's the church in ruin because of apostasy. And then Titus is fix and set things in order because of what's taking place in 2 Timothy. Because the church is in ruin, let's go and rescue the church. And that's the idea with Titus. And of course, Philemon, the the final epistle that Paul writes, is about here's the capstone, if you will, of grace. This is what the grace life will produce when you allow the grace life to actually live in and through you. And that's the opposite issue that we see here in, Ty- in Timothy. Notice what, what, what Timothy's doing, what Paul's doing to Timothy, he's giving a commandment, right? And he's saying, Timothy, what I want you to do is to charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables or endless, or, and endless genealogies. Notice, notice in verse 4 there when he says that, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith so do. So the purpose of being there is to do what? To produce godly edification. Not, not, the, not the other issue of ministering questions, but the purpose of that, the purpose of meeting is for godly edification, to build one another up, right? And we've talked about those things. Hold your place here real quick. Go back to Romans chapter 1. Um, if you notice here in Romans chapter 1, there's, there's an issue that Paul starts off with in the very first epistle that we have in Scripture. It wasn't the first one that he wrote, but it's the first one that we have in Scripture. And you see the reason why it's the first one in Scripture. In verse 11, Paul is wanting to go to Rome. And he doesn't make it to Rome until, <laughs> 
a time when he can't do what he's wanting to do. But notice here in verse 11, and I always, I always say this, you know, praise the Lord that Paul didn't make it to Rome to begin with, because if he hadn't of, we wouldn't have the book of Romans. You know, you stop and you think about those things. The Holy Spirit knew exactly what was going on, and he says, I want to make sure that the book of Romans is written. He's not making it, so we're going to make sure that it's written down. Notice here in verse 11, here, here's the purpose. Notice, for I long to see you. His desire is to get to Rome. Why? That I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. All right? Now you pause there real quick. What's the spiritual gift that he's talking about? He's going to tell us. Notice, what's the purpose of this spiritual gift? To the end, he may be what? Established. The whole point of him wanting to go to Rome is to make sure that the people in Rome are established. And that you look at that issue there, that, that root word of established is what? Stable. He says, My, what I want to be able to do is come to Rome and I want to impart unto you some spiritual gift, the purpose of which that you would be stable. That you're not going to be tossed to and fro as he talks about in, 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 in Ephesians. He, he's saying, I want you to be stable. I want you to be able to stand on a verse and say, this is where I'm going to stand and I'm not going to be moved away. That's why he's wanting to go to Rome. Notice, he says, verse 12, that here's the purpose of then being established, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. There's an issue of unity here, and he's saying, I want you to be established, and the way you're going to be established is by unity through the truth. Not unity in spite of the truth, but unity because of the doctrine. Doctrine creates unity. You can't have unity. You can't create unity and it be real unity just by saying, let's have unity. Doctrine will create unity 100% of the time. More often than not, unity, if you will, is made by... Let's not talk about truths. Let's just talk about feelings. This is what I think it is. This is how I feel it is. And then somebody says, okay, I'm going to compromise what I believe the book says to match what you say so that we can have unity and have peace. Well, that's not how unity works. Unity is a direct result of doctrine. Always has been, always will be. If you don't do it based on doctrine, unity is fake. And there's not unity. <laughs> it's, it's a supposed unity. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a group of folks that are always learning, ever learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth because they don't care about the truth. They learn a bunch of stuff, but they don't come to the knowledge of the truth, and you're never going to create unity without truth. Our whole world is what? <clears throat> Let's all be unified. But it doesn't matter what, what's actually true. Let's just unify around a thing, whether it's true or not. That's where we are in our country and in the world right now. Is that's, what, that's what unity is based on is forget about what's true. Let's just look at this thing and let's all just agree here. No, truth creates unity. Doctrine creates unity. And you go back over here to, to 1 Timothy, and we see that showing up. That's why Paul's saying in verse three at the end of verse three of chapter one that thou mightest charge some they teach no other doctrine neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies right we've gone through all that stuff what do those three things do is minister questions rather than godly edifying verse five notice he says now the end of the commandment well the commandment is to teach have some teach no other doctrine Make sure that they're teaching the doctrine the right way. And we'll talk about what that doctrine is in a moment. He's saying, go and teach it. The purpose of this, of this commandment, the goal, the end of the commandment, is charity out of a pure heart and of good conscience and of faith and fame. And we said, <clears throat> you've got three things that create ministering that ministers questions rather than godly edifying. And Paul says, here's three things that will produce godly edifying. And we see that. Um, I wrote this down the other day and I forgot it. Every time you see the word godliness, except for one, is in 1 2 Timothy. It's an interesting thing. I can't remember. I, I wrote it down the other day. But do you know what? There's one time that it doesn't show up in Paul's epistles, and that's over in Peter, and he's telling us about something. 
So this, this doctrine of godliness, there is, there is an issue with godliness that, do you know where you're going to find it? In the books that tell you about godliness. What is godliness? You're going, what it is, here, here's the issue. You've got three things here. Charity out of a pure heart, a good conscience of faith unfeigned. Those three things will produce what Paul, through the Holy Spirit through Paul, calls godliness. Well, if you look at verse 10, and of course we talked about last week, the purpose of the law is, by the way, in case, because we've got some folks here that's not been here before or visiting or whatever. The law was never written for you to perform, ever. The purpose of the law is to let you know you're a sinner. You can't do it. So then that gets you to the point says, I can't do anything to save myself. So God says, that's fortunate because I sent my son to die on the cross for you. He shed his blood for you. He did the thing that you can't do. He fulfilled the law and says, you're going to have his righteousness I'm going to give you his righteousness the moment you trust in what he did. The moment you believe that, you move from death to life, from Adam to Christ. You move from being dead in your trespasses and sins to being quickened together with him. You now have his life. And now what do we do with his life? That's that issue of godliness. Is it possible for you to live a godly lifestyle? The answer is yes. And the only way you find that out is in that doctrine of godliness. So you find out who who you are in Christ and you say, most people come along and they'll say, well, that guy's nuts because he just said that. But that's what the verses say. And we trust the verses. We don't get caught up in the things that we see we look at the verse and say, well, that verse is the issue. Now, he gives us a list of things that the law is for. But notice you drop down at the end of verse 10, 1 Timothy 1.10. Notice it says, and if there be anything that is contrary to sound doctrine. Now, that issue of sound doctrine is what we're wanting to look at today. So, what is sound doctrine? Well, he tells us in the very next verse. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. The doctrine of godliness was committed to Paul. That's what the verse says. Not me. That's what the verse says. You have this this sound doctrine. And then what he does is he's going to tell us, here's what sound doctrine is. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which is committed to my trust. Now, let's take a look at a few things real quick. Go over to Romans chapter 2. Well, on your way, well, Romans chapter 2. And we'll just run through, we'll just run through some things real quick just to kind of get an idea. Is it, is it something special? Right? We want to make sure that if we see this. Romans chapter 2, <clears throat> let's notice here, let's start here in verse, uh, verse 14, just to, get, just to get to that. Notice here in verse 14, Romans two fourteen, For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves. Now you look at that and say, well, that's kind of confusing. Here's the thing. Did the Gentiles have the law in the Old Testament? No. But what did they do? They did some things that were based on the law. Do you know what they chose to do? If somebody murders somebody, what do we do? We put them to death. They were doing things that were contained in the law, and they didn't even realize that they were doing the law. And he's saying what they've become is they've created a law unto themselves. And they're saying if we're, and we kind of do this today, right? You look at the law of the land that we have, and we say, well, if you don't murder, and you don't do this, and you don't steal, and you don't do this, you're a good person. <laughs> That's the idea. And they say, well, if I'm a good person, then I get to go to heaven. Well, that's not, that's not what Scripture says. The issue there is he's saying the Gentiles created a law themselves and says, 
I'm good based on the things that we say is good or bad. I've not done the bad things. I've done some good things, so I'm a good person. And that's what he's dealing with here in Romans chapter 2 is those folks that are self-righteous thinking, well, I'm better because I'm not X, Y, and Z. Or I did X, Y, and Z. Right? And that's what they're doing there. So notice <clears throat> verse, five, or verse 15, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile, notice, accusing or else excusing one another. <clears throat> And don't we see that today? Well, you're not because, and they accuse one another. And they say, well, that was a white lie, so we're going to excuse that. That's what's going on. You know, it's not that bad. We've created this gray area that if you're in the gray area, you're going to be okay. And that's what, when you're left to yourself, that's what you produce. And that's what they produce. But notice this, verse 16. <clears throat> In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Now stop there real quick. <clears throat> There's going to be a day where God's going to judge the secrets of men not by their law they've created. You know? What he's going to do is he's going to judge them by Jesus Christ. Here's what you think's good. Here's God's righteousness. He's not judging you by what you think's good. He's judging you by what he knows good. And that's what he's dealing with there. And notice it says, according to my gospel. Do you know what we see here? Paul is the one that's revealed that, and notice, back up to verse, chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Do you know what Paul says there? My gospel contains some information saying that this is what God's going to judge you by one day, not what you think's good. The Gentiles didn't know that until it was revealed by Paul here in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And so part of his gospel is what? Wrath of God revealed. You were left alone after Genesis chapter 11. God gave you over to yourselves, and that's what he deals with in Romans chapter 1. Gave him up, gave him up, gave him over. Did you know that that was what you were under before you got saved? No. You had no idea until you read Romans 1.18. You're like, wait a minute. You mean the reason that I acted the way that I acted before I got saved is because I was left to a system by myself? And it's not until you read this you find that out. But here's the important thing. Notice, in the day, verse 16, 216, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, how is it that God reveals that is by, according to, my gospel? Now you look at that word, my it's not our gospel, right? He's specifically pointing out my gospel is the thing that reveals God's wrath to all mankind. Um, go over to chapter 16, Romans 16. <clears throat> and this is the end of what we started off in Romans chapter 1 earlier. And again, we're going to see this. We're going to see this over and over again. In Romans chapter 16... Notice here in verse 25. Romans 16, verse 25. Now to him that is of power to what? Establish you. Now we just got through reading in Romans chapter 1. The purpose of him wanting to go to Rome is that they may be established. And over here, what do we have is now to him that is of power to establish you. By the way, who is it? Is the him there? God. Who is it that's going to make you stable? God will. Not me. No other pastor. Nobody else. Yourself. The only person that is able to make you, that has the power to make you stable, is God. And he gives us three things here that's going to do it. Notice. Now to him that is the power to establish you, according to, what's that next word? My gospel. Is he making a distinction there? 
Absolutely he is. Again, am I saying that he's making a distinction or is the verse telling us he's making a distinction? He's making a distinction through the verse, right? According to my gospel, what's the first thing you need to get to be established? His gospel. You've got to know it. Jesus Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. Romans chapter 3, 23, 24, and 25. We've talked about those, right? That's the, that's the heart of the gospel is there's a problem, you're a sinner. Verse 24 in Romans 3 says, God's provided a solution, Christ. Romans 3.25, God says, I trust and I believe that Jesus Christ was a fully satisfying payment and all I ask you to do is agree with what I've said. By believing the verse. Not a feeling, not keeping a law, none of that stuff. It's you just trust the verse. Well, how do I know I've got it? Because the verse tells you you've got it. Faith isn't this nebulous thing that you know if you just feel it enough then it's true it's not I've, I've, always, I've often said this growing up my understanding of faith was you got to believe harder well what's that look like you know I always I always say does that mean I believed harder that's not the point right it's a lot more peaceful than that faith is just saying I can't God did I'm just going to rest in what he did Faith says, I read this verse, and I believe it. That's faith. It's not what a lot of folks make it out to be. It's just simply, Romans 10, 17, right? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The only way that you can believe is believing the verses. How do I know I've got it? The verse says you do, right? Notice here, <clears throat> first thing to be established, my gospel. Secondly, and... The preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. And I want to pause here for a second. Do we know and understand that Jesus Christ had a ministry here on earth and he preached for three years? But do we also remember that he also preached according to something else? That he didn't preach when he was here for three years. And that's what he's talking about here. There is a preaching of Jesus Christ according to, based on, the revelation of the mystery. Now, that opens up a whole can of worms, right? Well, what's that mean? There's something that God kept secret from before the foundation of the world that he did not reveal. Notice, hold your place there. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, right? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Notice this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll start here in verse, verse 4. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Why? That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Why is it important for me not to make me the big issue and the things that I say the big issue is because I don't want your faith to be in me. I want your faith to be in the book. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Notice in verse 6, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught, but notice this, but we speak the wisdom of God in a what? That's the same thing we just read over in 1625, right? We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which what? Before the world began, God did something. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth... But this verse takes us back prior to that and says there's something that's taken place prior to that. And he says what? Which God, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Well, what he's doing is there's this information that he's kept secret all the way through until that information is revealed.
and there's some teaching that Jesus Christ does based on that, that he didn't teach the three years that he was here. That's what the verse says, right? Putting those together. Go real quick. Ephesians. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Notice in verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you. We're going to pause there real quick. Have you heard of the dispensation of the grace of God? He says, if you have, but some folks haven't. I didn't hear about it until I was 21 years old. Did I have access to a Bible that was telling me about it? Yeah, but I never read it because I thought the Bible was something that I can't understand that I got to go to somebody else and tell me what it means. But now I find out I can just go read it. I have access to the one that created the heaven and the earth. Notice, he says, if you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given, notice, me. Who was given the dispensation of the grace of God? The writer of the Ephesians, which is Paul. Paul's saying there's something given to me. Notice in verse 3, how that by revelation, he, Christ, made known unto me the what? The mystery. Notice. <clears throat> Whereby went, wait, I'll back up. As I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the what? The mystery of Christ. What Paul's saying is there's something here, the teaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, there's something that's revealed, something that's kept secret, and we'll see that in a second. Notice, move on. Verse 5. Which in other ages was what? Not made known. Do you know what that means? From Genesis 1 to Acts 9, no one through there knew that. Because that's what the verse says, right? Notice. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is what? Now revealed. There is a particular time where it is now revealed, that information, and we see this. Notice, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Notice, it doesn't say by Old Testament scriptures. <laughs> Why? Because it wasn't there. He's saying it wasn't revealed back there. There's some information there. Do you have a question? Yes. Just clarify for me real quick. So it says it's now revealed to his holy and apostles and prophets. Mm -hmm. So back here, there were all these prophets that God spoke to. He never revealed it to any of them, right? He did not. But during Paul's ministry... He says there are apostles, prophets, right? Evangelists, pastors, teachers, and all that stuff. So what he's saying is there's, there's folks there, and we went through this years ago. We looked at who are the apostles and prophets and evangelists in Paul's time, and he's revealing those things to those people then. So the prophets, the, the evangelists, the apostles and prophets at that time, they were learning about it from Paul. So when you read prophet there, that doesn't have anything to do with the prophets from the, mm -mm. From the Old Testament. No, it's not, it's not talking about Isaiah or Daniel or those guys. It's not to them. It's to the folks that were there at that particular time. Okay. Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, notice, <clears throat> verse 6. 
Here's the purpose of it. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ by the what? The gospel. Whereof I was made a minister. According to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given. Now, when we talk about this issue, what we're talking about over there in Timothy, you've got that issue of sound doctrine. That's this stuff here. That's what we're talking about, right? According to my glorious gospel, right? And we talked about that. Notice, <clears throat> unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the what? Unsearchable riches of Christ. Do you know why you can't search them? Because they're not there. You start thinking about that. Can you search about the kingdom that God's going to one day set up? You can. You can go back to the Old Testament and find that stuff. You're not going to find this. Now, if you notice, what's he saying is that they should be fellow heirs and the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ. There is something that God's doing today that he did not let anybody know of, and we'll see why in just a moment. But notice, <clears throat> verse 9, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world, that's here, right, hath been hid, where? In God. So this mystery, this hidden wisdom, where was it? It was in God until it was revealed here. So when we talk about this issue of godliness, it's according to that stuff back there that no one knew about until God revealed it. Which is why that's the only place you see that. Now, notice... And to make all men see, verse 9, what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent, here's the purpose, that now under the principalities of powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. What he's talking about there is he's talking about angels and all these folks up here. What are they learning about? That mystery. Now that's important. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Why is it important for us to know that now, under the principalities and powers, God's making known something? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 7 again. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. Now pause there real quick. From Genesis 1 to Acts 9, nobody there knew about that mystery. By the way, what he's talking about there is the angels and principalities and powers didn't know about it either. Because it was hid in him. And if it was revealed or talked about here, then they would have known about it. And so notice, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now here's what's interesting. Was it prophesied that Jesus Christ would be crucified? Yes. Was it prophesied that he would be buried? Yes. Was it prophesied that he would raise again? But what wasn't prophesied is there's something here that God is doing today because of that. And had Satan and his angels known the purpose behind the cross, not the act of the cross, the purpose behind it, what's that verse say? They would not have crucified him. Had they known what God was going to do through the cross, and it's not just getting people saved, because God could have done that any way he wanted to. 
But what happens is you go back to Genesis and it says what? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Well, what does Adam and Eve subsequently do in Genesis chapter 3 is say, I want this fruit rather than to be king over this earth and I'm going to give it to you, Satan. And they do. When, when, Satan, when Christ goes to Satan in, in, the, in the mountain, he's tempted. Satan says, look at all this. I own it. Christ didn't say, no, you don't. Because he knew he did. So then, the whole deal with, with prophecy is what? God's going to create a kingdom here on the earth, out here in the ages to come. Well, what about the heaven? What about the heaven? Well, Old Testament Scripture tells us the heavens are unclean in His sight. So what about the heavens? Now, of course, this brings in a whole bunch of stuff that we... I can't assume that we all know, but... We realize that when you, when you deal with stuff... Paul's caught up to the third heaven, right? You've got the second heaven, which is where Satan and all his angels are. You've got the first heaven where all the birds fly and all that stuff, right? That right there, the second heavens, is unclean in God's sight. Why? Because that's where the fallen angels are. Well, real quick. Go to Colossians real quick. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1. And again, when we talk about these things, there is some information about godliness that sound doctrine provides, and it's teaching by Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. There's something revealed about this. Notice this. This is, this is one of those things you just kind of step back and say, where was that verse my entire life, right? Colossians chapter 1, notice verse 15. <clears throat> who, talking about Christ in the previous verses, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn from every creature, for by him were all things created. Now pause there. What things? Is he talking about the trees? Is he talking about animals? Do you know what else he's talking about? He's going to tell us about something. There's something else, you know, this, this issue of when you, when you talk about somebody that doesn't believe in creation, it's more than the fact that we're created and we're here to live on this earth. There's more to it that they're denying that they don't even know that they're denying. If you deny that God created the trees and, and the birds and the fowls and all that stuff and the fish in the sea and all that, if you deny that, you don't realize that you're denying something else too. But they're caught up in here because they're so worldly based, right? Notice this. What are the all things? He says, that are in where? Heaven and, and in earth. So there are things in heaven and there are things in earth that God created, right? By Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Visible. Do we see the trees here? Do we see the fish? Delilah had some salmon the other night. She said it was really good. So you can see that, right? But there's corresponding things there that you don't see. God patterned the earth after the heaven. There is a true tabernacle that God created and formed the earth based off of. There is a connection there. When Paul says, I was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I'm, I do not know. Do you know why? Because it looked exactly like what he's used to seeing here. I don't know if it was because I was out of the body or in the body, because he's used to seeing it. The only difference there is no sin there, right? Notice, <clears throat> whether visible or invisible, some you can see, some you can't. Whether they be, here's your all things, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers all things were what created by him and for him well, what's the all things there 
that he's specifically dealing with is there are thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, might, and dominion. You go over to Ephesians, you get a couple more. And he says what? There are thrones, dominions, principalities. They're here, but they're also up here. These you can see, those you don't. How do we know that those exist? Because the verse tells us, and we can see them here. So here's the thing. If you notice this, notice verse 17. And he is before all things. Well, what's the all things he's before? That. <clears throat> and by him all things consist. That's that. Now we look out at our country and our world and we see the governmental structure, structure that we see. The reason we've got that governmental structure is because of this. Now our governmental positions are what? It's a mess, right? But just because the, the, just because the people are corrupt don't mean that the office is, right? Because that's this. Notice. They were created by him and for him. For his part, there's a purpose that God has. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Well, what's the all things? In earth, through that kingdom, and in heaven, through the body of Christ. Here's the interesting part. Had Satan known that God was going to take those positions there, he would have never crucified Jesus Christ. So it's not just that people get saved. What God is doing is he's going to, notice, keep on going, verse 20, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things to himself. Well, he's going to say, I want to take back all of those positions, and I want to take back all of those positions through that one simple act. And the thing that was kept secret is that he's taking that. Satan thought, I can give up the earth, that's okay. You're not going to take my positions. And God says, by the way, I'm taking those too. That's literally what's taking place today. God is forming the church, the body of Christ, through sound doctrine, this issue of godliness. And what he's going to do is he's going to take people here and put them in that position of rank and authority. And God's going to reconcile both things in the heaven and on the earth, all things in himself. And he's taking back the whole kit and caboodle, if you will. He's not leaving part of it. In fact, one of these days, the whole thing is going to be one. The way it was originally intended. And you notice, he says what? And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things where? In earth or in heaven. He's taking you right back to verse 16. And it's a, whole, it's a whole logical place that you go through and you look at that in verse 21. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Do you know what he's saying? You're an unsaved person over here. You hear this teaching. You believe it. And what happens is that now is true about you. And he says, you used to be something. You used to be alienated. You used to be an enemy. But now you've reconciled and... He's reconciled you to himself, and now you get to be a part of what God's doing way out here to glorify the Son. That's what you're dealing with when you're talking about godliness. God has chosen to give you his life when you trust in what he's done, and it's not just to save you from hell. If the whole purpose of the cross was to save you from hell, God would have just taken us when we got saved. But there's two things. One, we're still to be ambassadors while we're here. And two, there's a greater purpose. So when we talk about, there's, there's main things that we kind of set years ago. What we wanted to say, as far as this church goes, there is a gospel you can believe. There is a Bible you can trust. There's a Bible study you can understand. There is a life you can live. 
And there is a hope that sustains you. There's something out here. You know, when, when, when it talks about Christ, knowing the glory that should follow, he endured the cross. Well, us knowing the glory that shall follow, we endure this life. There's something greater that's going on, and part of it is this issue of godliness. And when Paul says, I want to I talk to you about some things that don't minister question, but actually deals with godly edifying and produces in you his life. Let's finish here. Galatians chapter 2. <clears throat> when you look at Galatians chapter 2, this issue of, of the gospel that Paul was given, it produces something that you can't get anywhere else, anyhow else that you can possibly think of. You can't pray your way into this. You can't work your way into this. You can't worship your way into this. You can't sing praise songs or whatever it is, however you want to do that. You can't do anything other than what God's going to do. Notice this, Galatians chapter 2. The moment you get saved, the moment you trust in the blood of Christ, there is something that takes place that you don't know about, that you don't feel unless you read the verse about it. And then it comes down to, do you believe the verse? Notice Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Do you believe that part of that verse? Now, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. When God saves you, it's not just to get you out of hell. It's to, produce, it's to provide a place for his life to be put on display now. And that's the goal. Notice, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh. Now he's talking about right now. And Paul says what? I know in my flesh there is no good thing. But what I can do is I can allow God's word to produce his life in this flesh. That's godliness. Putting on his life. Notice. <clears throat> and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Now, the faith of the Son of God, the faith of Christ. How is it that Christ lived his life? Complete and total dependency on God and His Word. That's His faith. Do you know what? Do you know what? Him believing what the Father was going to do and the verses, it took Him there. And He knew it. And He said, What? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He says, I'm going to believe the verse. And so what happens is, is when we live our lives, we live by the faith of the Son of God. What we do is we take the verses that we have and we believe those verses and we allow that verse to live in and through us and say, that is what I'm going to be based on. Not what I see, not how I feel, but what the verse says because that is the faith of Christ. Notice, who loved me and gave himself for me. He chose to go there because... The Trinity, the Godhead back here said, we're going to do something. We're going to keep part of it secret. You know, we talked about one of the things Satan's boast was, you can't keep a secret from me, right? God said, watch me. And he did. He said, I'm going to reveal something, what I've done through the cross. And I'm going to reveal, not only am I taking back the earth, but I'm taking back the heavens as well. And I'm going to do it through the thing that you're going to cause. We talked about on Pal Talk last week, the great deceiver deceived himself. He deceived himself into taking and getting Christ crucified, thinking that he won. And God said, that's the thing that's going to allow me to take back both of those places. That's why he had to keep it secret. And when we, come to, when we come to 1 Timothy, again, we said last week, you can't, you can't perform the law to get saved. You can't perform the law to stay saved. You can't perform the law to show people that you're saved. All that really matters is what? Do you believe the book? Don't get caught up in, as Paul says over in Timothy, don't get caught up in 
other doctrine, which was the law at that particular time, what he was dealing with. Don't get caught up in those stories that people come up with and use that reaches down and makes you feel really good about yourself. Don't allow those things or the endless genealogies of, well, I'm so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so because I go all the way back to so-and-so. Don't get caught up in those things. Let the book take care of itself. So when we talk about this issue, and, and we'll, we'll spend a little bit more time on this as we go through, <clears throat> what, is this, what is this going to end up looking like and how is that going to work out? There's a real big reason and purpose why it's completely opposite of the law. The law can't produce any of the stuff that we talked about this morning. Never has been able to. It's God's grace. That Romans 5 we talked about earlier, you have access to by faith, by believing the verses. You access that grace by believing the verses. It's amazing. We're going to be a part of something that we didn't know that we were a part of until you get in the book, you find out, and you're like, praise the Lord. There's more to me and more than life than cars and, and houses and jobs and all that stuff. There's something greater. And to be able to give our time and our life to those things, I count it a joy and a blessing. Questions, comments, concerns. Books way more than what we make it out to be. Praise the Lord. That's what it's for. You know, that's the purpose of church, right? You come to be edified so that we can go out and take that message to a lost and dying world. Praise the Lord. It's part of it. Yeah. Yeah, and and getting saved from hell—that's a great thing. Um, it's, it's a tremendous thing. But there's something even more. Um, and it's not just that we get a function then, but we get a function now too. That's the best part about it. You start learning now. You're training. You're training now how to live out there. But, of course, out there, you're going to get rid of all the junk that we have. We're going to have, things are going to get so much better. <laughs> it's one of those much more things that you read in Romans chapter 5. Much more then, much more then. Just when you think that God's done a whole bunch of things for you, you find out there's something else that you didn't know about. And you get a, you get a, you get a glory in that. It's His glory. So praise the Lord.